This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 38. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 38 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good afternoon, Randy. Hi, Lynn. So today we're talking with Laura Fleming. Laura has been an educator in the state of New Jersey for 20 years. She's been both a classroom teacher and a media specialist in grades K through 8 and currently works as a library media specialist for grades 9 through 12. Laura is a strong advocate of using new media and vanguard techniques for interactive and transmedia multi-platform storytelling. She's also the author of best-selling Worlds of Learning, Best Practices for Establishing a Makerspace for Your School. And we have uh, several of our teachers who are reading that book right now. Laura's goal is to create learning experiences that empower and equip students with necessary skills to effectively produce and consume content across multiple media platforms. She's also driven to enable educators and cohorts in applying these innovative methods and cutting-edge technology in their fields of expertise. She's an educational consultant, thought leader, and speaker on education, librarianship, and technology. Recently, Laura created a digital badge-based professional development platform in which educators all over the world earn badges in acknowledgement of their informal professional learning. She's also a recipient of National School Board's 20 to Watch in Educational Technology Leadership for 2014 and as well as a 2015 BAMI Award recipient. Hi there, Laura. Hi, Randy. Hi, Lynn. Thank you for having me here with both of you today. It's great to chat with you about this whole idea of making. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we early, earlier in one of our podcasts interviewed the author Warren Berger, who wrote a book called A More Beautiful Question, in which he describes a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. So if we think about your book, Worlds of Making, what is the beautiful question behind it? Well, I think the main question really would be, how can we leverage makerspaces to create systemic change and prove that creativity and innovation are still possible in education, especially in this age of standardized testing and the common core? That question was really the impetus behind my makerspace um, book. Um, and a big ambitious question, but one that I felt could be acted on in both a top-down way, but even more powerfully in a grassroots sense. 
Um, it really are these grassroots efforts that have allowed us to begin to achieve that widespread transformation in education um, and ones that I believe are sustainable. So, Laura, why do you think it's important for teachers um, to provide opportunities for students to actually make? Well, it's my belief that every child has the right to invent, tinker, create, innovate, make, and do. Maker spaces bring play, creativity, collaboration, invention, and passion, and give all students a voice, which is so incredibly important. Maker spaces, to me, democratize learning. They make materials, supplies, activities, resources, all of those things available and accessible to all students, regardless of their academic proficiency level or social status. Um, we see students taking control of their own learning, even our most reluctant of learners. And this transcends maker spaces into regular classes and outside of the school and ultimately into their future. I love those ideas because it really connects with something that we've been having a lot of conversations this year about, and that's this idea of learner agency. And tying that back into something you said in the first question, too, this idea of systemic change, because I think we're at that point in education, too, where that's one of our greatest problems. How do we take the pockets of innovation that are going on, and how do we, as leaders and educators, make those things systemic around this idea of learner agency and turning a lot of the control of learning back to our students. Mm -hmm. So what are some ideas that you can give us as educators, teachers, and or leaders, uh, things that we should keep in mind when we're planning to set up this thing called a makerspace? Well, I can think of three major things. Number one, I think it's important to keep in mind what exactly you're trying to create. Um, and I think depending on who you talk to or what you read, everyone's assigned a makerspace differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's part of um, the beauty of this movement is that it is so personal. Um, so I think it's important to figure out what it is you're trying to create. What is your definition of a makerspace? What is your vision for your space? I define a makerspace as a metaphor for a unique learning environment that encourages tinkering, play, and open-ended exploration for all. Some think that it's the technology in a makerspace that pushes students out of their comfort zone um, and what allows them to take their learning deeper. But for me, it's that opportunity for open-ended exploration, and that is something that too many makerspaces overlook. Um, number two is proper planning. Proper planning is before even thinking about what to stock a makerspace with, it is very important to plan your spaces properly. My planning process begins with the voice of the learner. And without that, in my opinion, you have nothing more than a bunch of stuff in a corner. Um, and from there, when you're planning, I suggest creating themes based on the feedback you collect from your learners, but also by looking at the standards, curriculum, and global trends and best practices. And finally, number three, Makerspaces do not have to be just STEM-based. I firmly believe that no two makerspaces should be alike because no two school communities are exactly alike. So the idea behind that planning process that I suggest is to uncover themes that work best for your school community. So often we hear about teachers who do purchase the stuff and don't have a plan in place. So that's a really interesting piece of advice. And what are some questions that teachers should ask themselves as they start to formulate this plan of, of 
you know, thinking about a makerspace before they even buy the stuff? I firmly believe that before you can even think about buying anything, you need to have a vision for your space. And I actually suggest that schools craft a vision statement. And in that statement, um, you come up with an actionable strategy for this learning environment that you're, you're looking to create. Um, so for me, that is step one. Um, step two is to cycle through that planning process and really creating themes based on the things that you uncover during that planning process is the key to, I feel, a unique makerspace, an authentic makerspace, one that's relevant to your school community, and also one that is guaranteed guaranteed to be sustainable into the future. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of questions, I think some of those questions naturally get answered along the way as you mm -hmm. cycle through crafting that vision statement and through that planning process. I think the most important questions that need to be asked are questions for our learners. So rather than, than it being so teacher-focused and teacher-driven, I think there needs to be a shift and 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 have it be more student-focused and student-driven. And I think ultimately that's what's going to allow teachers to create that student-driven learning environment that makerspace should be. And throughout that visioning process and the development of the makerspace, how do we develop a maker culture along the way? Well, as I've been saying, proper planning is key. And as a part of that planning is including that voice of the learner. I think the more the students are involved in planning and creating a makerspace, the more empowered they will feel in that space and the more it will feel like that student-driven space we want our makerspaces to be. I think in addition to that, we need to emphasize to our learners that our makerspaces are places that are safe. And in these spaces, they can take risks and maybe even fail along the way and know that failure is sometimes a necessary step on the road to success and in innovation. I think ultimately, though, that all too many makerspaces are created by adults and managed in ways that work best for those adults. And sometimes we as adults have to step out of our comfort zones and create and facilitate and manage our makerspaces in ways that work best for kids. I love the two ideas that you've been talking about repeatedly here, and that's the idea of vision and the idea of student voice, too. And those are things that really tie in very well with a lot of the conversations that we've been having and this idea of looking at an innovation and sort of backing it up against our vision for learning in the classroom. And does it, how does it advance, uh, how does embracing that innovation advance us towards that vision? And I think that, um, a lot of the times when we talk about innovations, whether they be makerspaces or something else, we don't really know what is that vision? Why are we doing this? What do we hope to achieve? How do we want things to look different? Mm -hmm. And then this idea of student voice too, and that you know we, are, we as educators have been so in control and we wanna keep that control, but we're in a world now where giving that control up and hearing the student voice and, and connecting to their passions and their needs. Uh, and it sounds like the makerspace is, is really a, a really good avenue into uh, those two things. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, as I said, I think so many people create makerspaces without planning properly and without having a vision and without um, including student voice into the development of their makerspace. And those three things, I think, are an integral part of making these unique learning environments that we're aiming to make. Mm -hmm. so, so some good takeaways so far from this conversation. 
How about the idea of uh, standards? We live in this world now where we want to um, develop instruction around standards, and you know sometimes we have to meet some criteria on an assessment of some sort. And uh, so how can makerspaces be used to support this idea of students meeting standards? Well, makerspaces in and of themselves are not aligned to any standards. <laughs> um, but as a part of my planning process, I recommend connecting some of your makerspace themes and activities to the standards. There's room for that as you plan your spaces. Um, so I think those who follow that planning process make those connections um, naturally, and they support students in meeting the standards. I think it's more than possible to align makerspace practices to the standards while at the same time providing a wide variety of creative and innovative pathways to learning and to building the skills outlined in the standards. In regards to assessment, there are ways to assess in a makerspace, but I tend to turn that word assessment um, over a bit in a makerspace. And rather than think of assessment in the traditional sense, I like to think of assessment in terms of finding ways for students to um, receive acknowledgement for the skills that they've gained in your space. So, so you're saying acknowledgement, and that's interesting. I'm thinking feedback. <laughs> um, but that's an interesting way to approach it. So acknowledging what they have learned and what skills they have gained while working in that unique learning environment. Yes, absolutely. It's so important. And really, that idea comes out of the work that I've done with my own students. Right now, I'm in a high school. Our makerspace is here at New Milford High School. And my students, um, despite our makerspace being an informal learning environment, wanted some sort of recognition for the skills that they've gained, especially as they start to formulate their resumes and fill out their college applications. Um, you know, our makerspace is not a class. It's not listed on their transcript anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yet my students have gained some amazing skills, and they wanted recognition for that, but not in the traditional sense. Um, my students are adamant about our makerspace um, remaining an informal learning environment. So that is when we kind of played around with the idea of digital badging, which I think is what we're going to be talking about together next, um, and using digital badges to recognize the skills and achievements our students have gained in our makerspace. Yes, yeah, so tell us more about that. And, and in this case, you really do mean acknowledging and giving them some informal credit, so to speak, for what they have learned and done that um, in other courses might be acknowledged through a grade or credits on a transcript. Yeah, and, you know, there's many ways to provide that credential. Um, we choose to use digital badging um, in our makerspace, but there's many other ways you could go about showcasing student achievements in a makerspace. And, you know, I, I really believe, as I said earlier, that no two makerspaces should be alike because no two school communities are alike. And I think the same could be said for coming up with ways, developing ways to acknowledge the skills that students gain in a makerspace. We use digital badges, but there's many different forms of credentials that exist that might work better for um, one particular school. Um, but we have had great success with digital badging. So tell us a little bit more about how the digital badging works for, for your students. How do they take that acknowledgement with them or embed it into their college applications or workplace uh, resumes? 
Um, out, the digital badges that we issue here um, in our makerspace are what are called open badges. And, and there's several things that, that differentiate a traditional digital badge from an open badge. Um, an open badge has a story behind it. So if somebody clicks on a badge that somebody earns, it tells a story. So when did they earn the badge? What did they do to have to earn the badge? Um, what standards is the badge aligned to, speaking of standards? Um, really, you can put any sort of metadata you want behind um, your digital badge. But the idea is to have it tell the story of a learner's learning. Um, once those badges are earned by our learners, it, they're their property. They take ownership over those badges. So they can choose to do with those badges what they want. They can do nothing with their badges if that's what they choose. They can embed them into websites or blogs. They can share them across social media. They can upload them to LinkedIn. They can embed them into resumes or um, include them as a part of portfolios in the college admissions process. It really is up to the earner how they want to use their digital badge. Mm-hmm. And what's been the biggest impact of digital badging with your makerspace? Oh, I think allowing my students who, uh, you know, I have to say that my makerspace regulars are our students who were the most disengaged um, in school. Um, and, and they're proud of their achievements. They're proud of their accomplishments. Um, so I think with every digital badge that they earn, they feel empowered. Um, they're, they're proud to, to showcase the things that they've done. And they're grateful to have the opportunity to be able to do so. And they've led to, these badges have led to many significant things, such as students um, getting accepted to colleges and and majoring in majors related to the things that they've done in our makerspace. Or for those who don't go the college route, many of our graduates have have gotten jobs related to the skills that they've gained in our space. Mm -hmm. And I really attribute some of that to the digital badges, giving them the opportunity to tell their story of what they've done. So I've always been interested in the idea of digital badging and thinking about that through the professional development lens. Um, one last question on digital badging before we move, move on to there. Which badge or which concept or competency do you think is one that many students have learned? Um, you know, I think that we have different kinds of skills that students gain in the makerspace. Sometimes there's skills such as 3D printing and design or soldering, you know, more hands-on kinds of skills. But I think digital badges have also allowed the opportunity for our students to um, be acknowledged for soft skills, things like communication and collaboration. Um, and those are, those are things that are very valuable to employers now. And those are, those are um, traits that they're looking for in the people that they hire. Mm-hmm. So I feel very lucky that we have a system in place that allows our students to be acknowledged for those soft skills as well as the more traditional skills. So one of the things that we've been focusing on this year is looking at innovations, things that aren't 
the most common things that happen in our schools, at least in our schools specifically, and asking teachers to explore. And one of the things that some of our teachers have been exploring is this idea of makerspace. And what you shared with us today is really exciting. Uh, makes me want to come and visit and see all the great things that are going on with the makerspace and the digital badging <laughs> and, and hear the student's voice in all this and how, how engaged and excited they are. So clearly you've done, you've done some really amazing work there, Laura. Thanks for sharing that today. Absolutely. Thank you. So, thank you for giving me the opportunity. One, one last question uh, that we ask everybody on the podcast. So what are you thinking about these days? So you've done a lot of work in uh, makerspaces and digital badging. What's next for Laura? <laughs> well, I think my focus um, with digital badging is really about digital badging and professional learning. Um, that has been the focus of my work over these past few years. And I really believe that the strength of digital badging lies at the local or district level. So the question that is driving my current work with digital badging is, how can we effectively leverage digital badging at the local level to build a culture of recognition within school communities? In regards to makerspaces, um, my book, Worlds of Making, laid out a philosophy in the research behind the maker movement. It also led readers through best practices for planning, creating, and managing and facilitating a makerspace at their school. And what I've learned is that while anyone can really create a makerspace, there is definitely a distinction between a makerspace and a great makerspace. Mm -hmm. So in terms of makerspaces, I'm now thinking about the question, what do great makerspaces have in common? And what can schools do to ensure that their makerspaces are great? So an interesting idea, some sort of, you know, guiding questions would be helpful. What do we see in students and what are students working on and how are they developing these skills? And um, we just recently put together a draft of a profile of a graduate and many of those skills connect to what you were just talking about in terms of the soft skills that employers are looking at. So looking at the makerspaces that we have started and thinking about um, how did they address some of those skills? And if we were to badge, what badges would we be able to give? So that would be a great book, <laughs> a great follow-up <laughs> follow book with some guided questions and resources and um, help people better understand the, the differences between, you know, putting the stuff out there and having that organic process and really being thoughtful about planning something and then evaluating and determining whether or not it's meeting your, your vision and your goals of your organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I would recommend to listeners that they check out my blog because I have written a little bit about that on my blog. But a book about those guiding questions is certainly something that I have in mind as well. Very exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Laura. Um, we did link Laura's blog to the show notes, worldsoflearning.com. You can check out the resources on makerspaces and um, lots of lots of things there for you to peruse. And you can also follow Laura on Twitter at LFlemingEDU. And um, looking forward to investigating some of those resources. Don't forget about Laura's book. You can check that out as well. Thanks again, Laura. We really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, and excited to see what the next step is in, uh, in your work. Thank you so much, Randy and Lynn. It really was an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, how can you develop a culture of making in your building or classroom? 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 2, Episode 38. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Thanks so much, Randy. Thanks so much, Randy and Lynn. Bye-bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.